Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 242 or 242. My name is John O'Logan and uh, we have a big show for you today. Uh, there was an indie direct, uh, well, uh, Nintendo Indie Direct earlier today, and there was some uh, there were some really interesting games announced and some really interesting indie titles. But uh, honestly, I think any news that has come out uh, would have been completely overshadowed for Solosi from some massive news about one of Solosi's favorite franchises that got dropped. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak info dropped yesterday. Solosi, how excited are you to get some uh, some sweet nuggets of? Uh, Monster Hunter news. I could not tell you a single iota about the uh, about the trailer today, but the Monster Hunter trailer yesterday, I can I went over th- that thing like it was the Zapruder film. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited for Rise Sunbreak, my most anticipated game of 2022. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably the uh, the only Monster Hunter correspondent on this podcast right now. I think what was in the yeah, I haven't, I've never actually bought it. I don't own any Monster Hunter games. That's fair. There there are so many of them. It's hard to know where to start. But uh, Sunbreak is the, the giant expansion to Rise, which was uh, 2021's big Monster Hunter game for the Switch and PC. Um, and there have been four and a half Sunbreak trailers over the past six months or so and uh, uh this new one showed off um uh some gameplay changes like uh, like uh you're able to change equipable switch skills on the fly they showed off three new monsters um all, across all those trailers where we now know about nine new monsters for for uh for sunbreak three returning and six uh brand new ones um so I'm just I'm just excited to to get in there when the time comes. Uh, we don't need to get into hyper specifics, but uh, the, the two returning monsters that they've announced one yesterday and one in March were Astalos, the a big thunder wyvern from the 3DS games, and Seregios, a big golden sh- uh, blade wyvern from the 3DS games. So uh, yeah, big uh, like big exciting expansion for fans of the 3DS Monster Hunter games, of which there are. I, I think six there's the, the monster hunter really went crazy on 3ds yeah um i'm really glad that you got some uh some interesting big news from your uh your franchise obsession of choice because uh my franchise obsession of choice announcement was slightly less than uh thrilling um actually you were the one who broke this news to me because you were excited about it too which was yakuza oh yeah, yeah. Yakuza was gonna have a big announcement they were gonna have a big thing uh and the announcement was Fashion, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, fashion. Have you ever wanted to wear a jacket with a dragon on it? Oh, then this is the Yakuza news for you. I, I really thought they were going to show us a trailer of something new because they were billing it as a like a, a, a an event with music and news and interviews with the uh, with the the RGG Studio team lead. But it ended up being uh, like some acknowledging questions. Yes, we're working on multiple things, and here is a uh, Yakuza fashion line shirts and a jacket i was disappointed i was hoping for more uh more cologne you, you know those enamel pins do look kind of all right <laughs> see that's the thing it doesn't i wasn't asking for news i wasn't i don't feel like a spoiled brat who's like you didn't give me news Wah. because it's like they keep doing this they keep announcing like yakuza big yakuza announcements and we're like yeah give us some yakuza news and they're like here's a jacket i, I was a little asking for news maybe maybe that makes me a brat but uh, we have, uh, you know, we, we were just, uh, we had a great time in 2020 with, uh, like a dragon and then a great time in 2021 with lost judgment. And it's been radio silence since then. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm just, a maybe I'm just one of Pavlov's dogs salivating here 
at the sound of them ringing a bell, but I, I would like for them to pour the food for the dog. At, yeah, that's the, the thing. They're just, oh, cripes. I forgot to introduce everyone because we were getting into this. Hey, Solosi. Hey, Zach. How is everyone doing? I am great. Uh, Zach Wilkerson. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, well, that was that Solosi's obsession and my obsession. Zach, do you have any news that has you particularly jazzed right now? I, I don't have any obsessions. I, I'm lying. You have many I, obsessions. I have <laughs> um, I have one in particular, um, and it is Final Fantasy fourteen, which I'm very sad to say that Caitlin hasn't talked about yet. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, patch 6.1 just dropped pretty recently, and I have been into that. Into that how? Like So um, I, 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 it's hard. I, I understand Zach's consternation here because yeah. <laughs> like 6.0 ended the biggest eight-year saga yeah. <laughs> in Final Fantasy history. Yeah. So 6.1 kicking off something new is a, a mind boggle to many, many people. And I, I wouldn't know where to begin talking about yeah. it either, man. Uh, and Slosi has a point. Uh, I mean, like 6.0 brings to a head and to an end um, a lot of stories that um, have been running through since really 1.0, even though I started, I didn't start until 5.2. Um, but I have been into it in the two and a half years since. Um, it's tricky. It's like, it's, it's like, how do you follow up Avengers Endgame? You know, everything it has been the culmination of everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, we need to introduce new things now. How's that going to work? Yeah. And, and, and 6.1 does, it actually goes harder than I thought it would. Um, because at the end of 6.0, like things are at an end and uh, without spoiling very much, um, your group sort of decides to go their separate ways for now. Mm -hmm. Like the people who were still alive from 6.0, which I won't say who was who. Um, and I sort of expected 6.1 to be a, like a side quest almost like it was going to be like, a this is just like a fun little adventure. And at the beginning, it sort of seems like it's going to be that. And then immediately it goes like incredibly hard into something that um, they've set up. And one of the things that's really interesting in 6.0 is one of the characters talks about this idea that like, there are all these things you haven't seen in the world that you exist in. And I'm like, as I was watching it in 6.0, I was like, oh, I understand what you're saying. You're right. We haven't seen those things. And then they go into those things. Um, one of those things really interestingly in 6.1 from a story perspective um, in a way that I wasn't expecting. But, you know, outside of the things that I would spoil, and I don't want to spoil anything because even talking about the story is a spoiler. Mm -hmm. um, like the, the they introduce and at every point one, point three, and point five patch, they introduce a new alliance raid. Oh. Um, and anyone who's even paid vague attention to this knows that. Um, and the alliance raids um, are basically like the twenty-four man raids. Like you have like two, like three eight-man groups um, that engage in fighting, like basically four bosses, and then maybe some trash in between. Hmm. The biggest thing that you see in Final Fantasy fourteen, and they're about what's called the twelve. In Final Fantasy fourteen, and right, the twelve. I, 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 I didn't think you would mention it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they say it straight up in like all the all, all the right. trailers and everything else. Um, and you obviously knew as well. Um, and they the alliance raids in, in six point and the thing of the six point one. I think it's interesting is like the alliance raids in Shadowbringers and Stormblood have both been based on other game franchises. And the thing that I like about what they're doing in Endwalker is that it's like building the lore of the world that we exist in 
and it's about the 12. And basically the idea is like, I won't say much else, but you're, you're interacting with the 12 in some okay. way. Yeah. The, 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 the 12 gods and goddesses that shape the world that were introduced in FF 14 1.0 in 2010. Yeah. When I saw a boss list for the new Alliance raid, it's like, oh, that's the goddess that I've been worshiping since 2016. Technically. Yeah. Same here. Are both the Zama bros? Okay. We are. Yeah. I'm a Kote as well. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a cat boy through and through. Um, As am I. I'm a a seeker of the sun. (laughs) But the Alliance Raid is phenomenal. And that is saying something coming from me, which is like the last Alliance Raid series was near related. And the one before that was tactics. And it is better than either of them Um, in terms of the story it's setting up, but especially the fights. They're fantastic. Um, And the fact that the story goes as hard as it does and as interestingly as it does is phenomenal. Um, the new extreme bosses are fun. Um, I, I'm having a good time with. Them. So, in other words, it's a it's a worthy update. Yeah, I mean, it, it it shows us that because like I know a lot of people are probably worried, like, oh, you have this phenomenal story and it's going to be over. I'm like, hey, look, you now Yoshi P is setting this up, <laughs> right? Like he has it all in place. I have I I have an almost like deity like worship of this man. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I would never accuse Yoshi P of not going hard. Yeah, he has gone hard in six point one in both the Alliance raid and also the story that like is setting up the next storyline like already like it, it and usually six point one is like a whatever story here it's like hey here's what's coming and it's it's fantastic it's so good I. I, I hate to be a 14 stan. Actually, no, don't. you don't. That's a lie. It's a dirty <laughs> it's lie. So good. <laughs> I, I, I resub. <laughs> yeah, I, I have been on an FF14 break since mid 2020, and it is now harder than ever not to resub. And and and, and Jono, I, I I don't know if we're communicating how much my mind was blown by this. Like, if this was a Greek mythology RPG, mm-hmm. this new raid is the equivalent of fighting Hephaestus, Apollo, Artemis, and Demeter. Yeah, like, it's it's it is wild what they're doing with it. So it's um yeah it like th- this is the biggest sea change of what ff14 is with the, the this new patch and probably the next upcoming several ones and uh i like i'm prepared for my mind to be blown again when they tell us what uh what, what the 2023 expansion is going to be it's just funny because amanda's snake is named hephaestus when you're like fight hephaestus i'm like i don't want to fight hephaestus <laughs> hephaestus is this corn snake doesn't even have any teeth i mean <laughs> they, they've sort of said the alliance rate is like an epilogue to the zodiac heidelin storyline that you get yes. through the end of end Endwalker. um and the thing that's interesting about the 12 is like they're still even after 6.1 there are all these mysteries surrounding them like there's no mythology about them going back before heidelin um, mm-hmm. and to say anything else would be spoilery to another person on this podcast. So I will say nothing mm-hmm. else, but, um, it, like, it, like the world building in final fantasy 14 is so fantastic. It's like, like I'm reading like a Brandon Sanderson fantasy novel. Um, the way that they pull so many threads together in ways that are surprising and I should have never been surprised is, it, it's just fantastic. And they've done so many things to improve jobs um like they like world of warcraft should be shivering because 14 is amazing i think it is yeah they're they're, i think they're the shivering isles right now (laughs) one of the nicest things about final fantasy 14 as someone who doesn't play it uh something that i love about it is just how much obviously square enix uh respects the franchise and respects the fan base and and delivers content repeatedly that 
they want to play and that they love and that respects the time and investment they put into it. Um, and I have to say that not every company does that sort of thing. Like, I don't know, Konami, sometimes other companies just don't do that. And they, in fact, let their franchises languish and disrespect their fan bases with uh, by selling NFTs of maps and such. Um, but when that happens, uh, oftentimes the original creator goes off and they create a spiritual successor to their original property. And this is my way of transitioning into a game that just got released. <laughs> oh. uh, I was, man, I was all ready to talk about the 2018 FF14 Monster Hunter World crossover. <laughs> <laughs> Rathalos is like my least favorite fight in the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> Behemoth is my least favorite fight in the, in the other entire I'm game. I'm like, this is not Final <laughs> Fantasy XIV. Give me some mechanics, all right? <laughs> I, I enjoyed being able to make dragoon armor in Monster Hunter World, but I did not enjoy fighting the behemoth with its insta-kill meteors in an, in an action game that is that that, that does not uh, – never mind. That normally does not have MMO mechanics. But come on, let's talk about Aoden Chronicles. Yes, sure. Uh, so, yeah, this is – the way I was transitioning into that was Aoden Chronicle. Uh, this is a spiritual successor of – Suikoden, which is a legendary JRPG series that is known for uh, its hundreds of characters in every game and base building mechanics where you, you have to recruit characters from around the world that you meet to build up your town or your castle uh, into a thriving community. Um, I'm actually replaying it right now, uh, and in many ways it's as good as I remember, and in many ways it's not quite as good as I remember, but we'll talk hmm. about that on another podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is, uh, Aiden Chronicles is, it was announced as a spiritual successor on Kickstarter and it was a very successful Kickstarter. Uh, it was called a uh, hundred heroes was the name of the game. And then they announced something that was kind of a surprise, which was a, uh, like a, a, a spinoff kind of thing or a prequel, uh, called, uh, Aiden Chronicles rising. And this was an action RPG and it was going to be a much smaller self-contained experience that sort of uh worked as an introduction into the world and it just recently got released and zach you managed to uh dive into it so uh tell me how is it you you i mean you like suikoden right <laughs> uh, yeah i know i know this was this was me um, just suikoden 2 is my favorite game of all time um so yeah um i like suikoden oh good um and this game Okay, I'm just going to say it. If you like Suikoden, this, especially like the PlayStation 1 and 2 entries, this game is a real looker. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about the looks, I mean, what's amazing about Rising and, and the thing that I, I'm not sure we mentioned is like Rising was a stretch goal. Um, and in the Eden Chronicle Kickstarter, it was part of that. Um, and I tried to contribute it to it, but like my credit card kept getting declined. So I never could, but uh, I, had to, um, I had to call my bank in order to allow the payment to go through. Yeah, they, I just they, never did. So which makes me feel happy because now I feel like I, I can talk about these. Zach, maybe they just knew you were such a fan. They were like, your money's no good here. Yeah, I feel like I could talk about these without having any sort of bias, even though I have so much <laughs> bias. Um, but Rising was a stretch goal. So it's a game that never had to mm -hmm. exist. It's a little bit like the 8-bit uh, Castlevania likes that came with uh, Bloodstained Symphony that or Ritual of the Night. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the things I was thinking about as I was playing Rising. Um, because like I played the beta, um, which gave me like the first three hours of the game. And then I played the rest of the game, which probably for most people, they'll clear it in about 15 hours. But I went hard on it. Like I cleared every side quest available. 
I at the post game, you get the availability of a hard mode. I then play through the entire game again, um, which indicates to you that I was a big fan, but I also had a lot of extra time with this before it was mm. released. Um, and yeah, I mean, like it, it is definitely a prequel to hundred heroes. Um, from a story perspective, you are placed in an area called new Nevaeh, which is like this area that has been like, destroyed at some point um by like an earthquake or some other catastrophe a cataclysm of some sort indeed and uh even telling you more about that is is a semi-spoiler um and so you show up as like an adventurer who's like this part of this family who tells you like hey you have to go gather some amazing artifact and and underneath nudevea there is this area called the rune barrows that has like these giant like um, they're, they're called rune lenses, but, and, and if you know what runes are in, in Sukaden, you know what that mm. means, right? Like it, it's like these magic lenses and you have to go gather the largest one you can. Um, but you can't do it because Nunavea like needs to be rebuilt and you have to like help Nunavea be rebuilt at the same time as you have to go try to explore the rune barrows. Oh, that's a clever way of working in the uh, town building mechanics. And, and the town building mechanics are probably more a part of the main game than they are the actual story, which I'll, I'll talk about more in a second here. But like um, at the beginning, you are you get like this, what's called a stamp card. And basically the idea is like you get a stamp every time you do something nice for someone in the town. And to get to explore the rune barrows, you have to, ex- you have to get more stamps. And... As the character CJ, who is the person who's ex- who you're controlling, they just basically decide they're going to help people around the town. And that becomes sort of the crux of the game um, is like helping people around the town and then like exploring a little further into the rune barrows and then helping people around the town and exploring a little further into the rune barrows. Um, and it's not until the end that you really start getting a feel for how this is going to live within the hundred heroes universe, mm. but it's not surprising. I mean, like, I don't know. We might know some countries that are interested in countries that have resources that people might want. Um, and that is very Suikoden. Yes. Um, I am that's... shocked that the Suikoden creators are making a game with political intrigue in multiple nations. Uh, Just shocked. I know, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe uh, what I'm hearing. <laughs> but it doesn't happen until the end. It, before that, it's all about like, let's build, this, let's build this community back up, which is always the thing you do in Suikoden, but it's more a thing in Rising than ever before. If you do love the base building mechanics in Suikoden, then that bodes well for the future. It sure does. Let me ask you, I, as the game is action, it's an action RPG with a few Metroidvania mm-hmm. elements, I believe, Absolutely. Um, rather than yes. a classic JRPG turn-based experience. Uh, how does Rising uh, capture that feeling of Suikoden? Now, okay, I also acknowledge that this is supposed to stand on its own, but it is a spiritual yeah. successor uh, in terms of the property. Totally so how does it uh, how does it capture that feeling of the game? That's a hard question. Um, as I was playing it, and I said this in my, I think my preview, um, I feel like it, it feels a little more act razor than it does Suikoden. Because like, as you, so the action, as you said, is... A little more Metroidvania. You basically have like four or five zones that you explore. Um, and as you explore those zones, you get different uh, materials um, that oftentimes are used for um, side quests in the town. And there are so many side quests in this town. And let me say, like, if you're reading the RPG fan review, like, I am certain that I like this game more than most people. <laughs> uh, I went to Metacritic. I'm like, 
you all thought the side quests were repetitive. I didn't. Um, and I understand where they're coming from because so much of this game is about sort of repetitive side questing and the way that like, it's like, go gather these materials, come back to me. I'll give you the reward. It takes resources to build a town. Yeah. And I feel like it's, I guess, semi-realistic in that sense, but also it doesn't feel like Suikoden and in most ways, except for the fact that the characters that you meet, um, and like you can tell who the stars in Hundred Heroes are going to be because they get a portrait, uh-huh. <laughs> um, have really interesting dialogue. They have really interesting reasons for being there. They have varied reasons for being there. They have varied reasons for being in New Nevea. But like, really, it's about like there isn't a lot of an outside threat until the very end in terms of what you are trying to do. It is very insulated. Like when I played the beta, I expected there to be another town that I had to build back up. Um, And there isn't. Um, You're in the same town the whole time. Um, And everything's moving off of that. Is there a visual interest uh, as you rebuild the town? Like, like as you do more side quests, is is it represented by more buildings or, or more renovations? Well, Yes, but um, so you like you build the armor up, you build the weapons area up, you build the farm up, you build the a, a bunch of different areas up. But that happens pretty early. Like you, like even by the time I was done with the beta, um, which is like three hours in, I have I had built most of the town back up. Um, so like when you upgrade a part of the town, which is usually a side quest thing, um, there will be an animation that indicates that, hey, you've built up part of this town, but it looks the same, which, again, I think for some mm. people probably will be a criticism. It, mm. it, again, it's not working on the level of a true Suikoden. Right. So like uh, putting this in context of the two Suikoden games I have played, this is more like a Suikoden 3 upgrade the town and not a Suikoden 2 upgrade the town. Yeah, it-, it, it makes it larger and instead of making it looking different. And I okay. would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because nothing ever really changes once it's built. Um, it just makes the town larger. That's that's actually, I wish I had said that actually. Um, that's a great way of putting it. Um, yeah, so it, it, it just makes the town bigger. Okay, so basically you are given this, you're given your stamp book. You need to essentially do side quests and things for the town's folk to build up the town or to mm-hmm. make the town larger uh, going out into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I understand it, the game isn't super challenging uh, in really any way it's the the combat is effective but somewhat simplistic no i would agree with that um so the combat is very metroidvania um you get a double jump at some point oh uh, that's a good stuff yeah you get a alucard backstep at some point you get the ability to jump higher you get the ability to use projectiles um and the combat for the most part throughout is pretty pedestrian but one of the things that's cool is that like as you go through the game um, and by about it's a little bit late, actually, um, the the halfway point, you get three different party members. Um, one of them, CJ, who's your main character, sort of your quick hit melee character. And pretty early on, you get Garu, who is a kangaroo who uh, swings a very large sword um, and can jump kind of high. Um, and then eventually you get a magic user. And I won't say who that is because it's kind of a spoiler. Um, and, um, in the middle of combat, you can use what's called a link strike, which is the ability to hit with different characters and on your controller, each different character's attack is mapped to a different button. So like, an oh, o, so this is a little bit Valkyrie profile flavored. Yeah, then. a little bit, um, an X or a Y. Um, and 
if you hit them in quick succession when you're hitting someone, you get the ability to do do link strikes and that is really cool but that's the only thing really like even the upgrades you get are pretty pedestrian um eventually like you know when you have the ability to like go to different areas in the like in the different like sort of zones so like you'll be blocked off like the very first area you go into is a forest and there is this big giant blue thing um and then eventually you'll get the ability to knock down those blue things then you go into those areas and it feels like it's trying to do Metroidvania, and it certainly is not in any way working on the level of Castlevania, because there are no, like, secret areas. There's nothing like that. Um, and you're going to find yourself going into those secret areas a lot after you unlock mm. them to get more of the materials to unlock the side quests, which I know a lot of people found repetitive, but, like, I just liked running through the whole area and, like, filling out my stamp card like it was so satisfying well the word that you used in your review was uh progression mm-hmm. and so the, this is the sense of progression that you got from this game was very addictive and that that plays into like the the stamp mechanic absolutely um because the more stamps you get the more things you can buy in the town um but also the more stamps you have <laughs> if i'm being honest <laughs> i was like oh i had 71 stamps now i have 72 and now i'm happy um <laughs> and i played it so fast that like i think that that like the fact that like they were asking me to go into old zones and do things that I didn't really need to do didn't bother me at all. But I think if you're playing it for longer, mm. it might bother you a little bit, like the repetitiveness of it. There are only five zones. And then like I was like looking back at old Castlevania games. And I'm like, oh, there are like 11 zones in that game that took me half the time to play that this one <laughs> did. Um, but for me, like it kept giving me like those little nuggets of like, hey, you got another stamp. You got another stamp. I'm a teacher, so I like progression. Yeah. Stamps are a trademark uh, secret weapon of teachers sometimes when it comes to... <laughs> I definitely have one that says, you did great. I also have one that says WTF, but I don't use that very often. <laughs> your sticker budget must be insane. For your, it's, like, it's like, man, I'm, I, I only have so many gold stars out to give, and teacher salaries aren't great in the United States. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that the thing about... Eden is like the story takes a while to get going. The combat isn't great. The exploration is a little repetitive and fine, but they gave me just enough nuggets in either in any of those to make me feel like I was making progression the whole time and like I was building something. And like as you're doing side quests, you get like the side quests are part of getting better gear. And I love Final Fantasy 14, right? I love mm. MMOs. So give me better gear. I will do whatever you need me to do to get better gear. Um, And so that worked for me, but I think for some people that will end up being a little repetitive. And I honestly think that hundred heroes will probably live just fine on its own without rising. Zach, if you, if you love filling out checklists and getting progressively (laughs) better things by exploring an area, let me introduce you to every game Ubisoft has made in the past 15 years. (laughs) Because I I mean, this game seems interesting it has good ideas but maybe a little repetitive and checklisty which is you know i I think that uh a a lot of people have as a criticism of certain kinds of rpgs and open world games which is i i think if you go in with the right mindset you you will enjoy this game but i'm i'm wondering like if people that maybe aren't as excited for aiden chronicle as you are (laughs) wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't have wouldn't have rated it quite as highly and i I think that's totally fair i mean i gave it an 85 and i think that that's a little on the high end of most reviews 
But I also think that like when you're thinking about like the checklists and the ability to progress, um, it happens so fast in the Eden. Like I was able to get like another stamp like in a minute. Um, you know what I mean? So like it was the fastness of my ability to progress that like made me so addicted to it. Yeah, if they make the gratification of those stamps and and attach in-game rewards to them, that, that definitely enhan- enhances it, yeah. And I would also argue that while your review was a little on the higher end, it was not like insane. It was not crazy. Like people do not dislike this game. Uh it's it's getting some it's not getting raves, but it's getting people who uh are are you know, they liked it, they had a good time with it while they played. And also it seems to be working very very well as what I think its purpose was which is almost a teaser for mm-hmm. uh 100 heroes yeah by the time you get to the last three hours it's very clear how nunavea and like the world of it and chronicle rising works into 100 hero like because like the i won't say much more but like it won't surprise you that someone wants all these rune lenses. Oh yeah, right? totally. <laughs> and it might be an empire. Maybe. Um, and it so, could be. And so like, you can see how it's going to work into that. And I'm like, oh, I can see how this would totally be a town in Suikoden. Um, and so for me, I was like, all right. Yep. And you'll be very surprised if we don't visit it in uh, 100 Heroes. Oh, you know that the three main characters in Rising are um, stars of destiny, so to yeah. speak. Um, in hundred heroes, but also like like the writing and the characterization, were, like were really good. Like I don't know who localized this game, but like they were on point, mm. um, and they did a great job of making the little interactions as you did. And I don't think I've did a great job of talking about this, but the little interactions between people really sing and it made me think about like xenoblade um one um and like those affinity charts you had to fill out which were a nightmare oh Um, god yeah but i I did it um and the it was not nearly as much of a pain and as you did more side quests you could see how these people in nevea like interacted with each other you got to see new relationships in the community building part of it i thought to me was like enough for me like just to see people and who they are and well-written. And I didn't care about the fact that I had to run into the woods and go grab six different pieces of high-quality lumber again. Mm. Um, it didn't bother me. Well, the point of this game is that it's a si- it's it's a stretch goal. It's a side story. It's it's like it's a fun piece of thing that is supposed to accompany the main game and build some hype for it. And I think it, it, it also introduces people to as I understand it, like you were just talking about the type of character relationships that we can see. Also the graphic style, which looks like a, a high definition, oh, yeah, stunning. high definition version <laughs> of what we got in uh, the PlayStation era. So we in games um, and also uh, music. I would imagine that you mentioned that the music is excellent in the review. Oh yeah. The music's really good. I mean, I can't tell you like a lot of tracks that really stick out, but like they're all really mm. good. <laughs> I'm bad at talking about music for the record. So um, I'm just usually like, hey, I like it. <laughs> I liked it. Um, and, and the graphics were phenomenal. Um, if they can do this in a short amount of time, I can't imagine what they're going to do with 100 Heroes, what they've been working on for years now. And we'll continue to work on for the next year, hopefully. Maybe longer, but hopefully for just the next year. I, I Yeah, they've already delayed it a year once. I would uh, I, I would not want to be, you know, within uh, listening distance of Zach if we got the announcement of a delay again. See, the release of this actually makes me a little bit hopeful about it because I don't think they want the period between the release of Rising and the release of 100 Heroes to be too far apart because this game is working as a wonderful uh, 
means of advertising of getting the getting the word out there about 100 heroes i mean that's true but also it's a different development group like they farmed this out but they could have held it if they thought they were going to delay 100 heroes they could have held it yeah and they gave us the review, like, as you know, John, I was the reviews manager. We got that, like, over a oh, month in advance. So, nice. so like, there, I, I was very happy because right now I'm very busy. So I was happy that we got it. And we were like, are you are sure? <laughs> are you sure you don't want to give <laughs> it this to us smoothly. on, like, two days before yeah. release? I played it within two days of getting it, and that worked out for me. So. Lovely. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it's uh, you had a great time with it, and it sounds like I, it sounds like the kind of game I would have a good time with it too, and I would play it. I think I might if I am going to play it. I think I would want to play it just before Hundred Heroes comes out, so probably not in the near future. Hopefully, in the mid future, year from now, who knows? Um, and basically, it works as a very effective prequel to what Hundred Heroes, what we expect Hundred Heroes will become. I would agree. I, I I threw it on my wish list, but man, comparing those stamps to the character chart in xenoblade chronicles i don't know if i want to play it anymore that's fair it's way it's way easier than that i don't have to worry about whether i'm going to talk to someone at night <laughs> don't worry yeah the, 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 the i managed side... to play it in within 48 hours and i 100 percent of it so don't worry <laughs> I, I don't know if you can get 20 percent of xenoblade chronicles charts done in, in 48 hours but <laughs> uh but, but yeah i am interested in this it uh it, it like it, it looks like it's basically just it's a set of character introductions and world introductions and a, and a Metroidvania teaser for what hundred heroes is like, th- this is the amuse bouche and hundred heroes is the five course meal. And I, I accept that. I, I don't, mm. uh, I don't know if I need to play rising right away only because I have like a hundred games, not a hundred heroes worth of games to play before the hundred heroes, hundred games of year. destiny. So, yeah. 108 games of destiny, hundred games of heroes. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if they're going to go with the, uh, water margin 108 for for Aiden Chronicle, but we'll they're going uh, beyond 108 for 100 heroes. So. Oh, they are. <laughs> yeah. Do we know what the number is? Uh, I'm not sure, but like I know that like there were stretch goals that were associated with going beyond 108. Mm. So. Oh, okay. I, I assumed it was going to be 100 uh, just because of that, and I because because you know it yes, makes sense. And and yes, yeah. in does 108 because that's the number from the water margin, which it's loosely based on, and 108 is that in the water margin because it's a very important number in Buddhism, but uh. It, yeah yeah that, that's oh god I, i'm i i i'm i'm iffy on on uh on rising only because of i'm not sure i want a repetitive metroidvania like in my life right now but i'm <laughs> extremely excited for 100 heroes and uh and Same that here. game is, is gonna be you know uh day one for me so but but as a teaser uh, I think rising is really, really interesting. It's also quick. You could, if you didn't hundred percent, you clear it in tw- 12 hours. If you don't collect all of the high quality lumber. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's really nice to hear and especially nice to hear how much, uh, what they're delivering to people who invested in the Kickstarter. And that just the fact that this thing exists gives me, again, they are, they care about their fan base. They care about the people who are putting t- their time and money into, uh, their property. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm, this is becoming a bit of a Konami bash, but other companies don't do that. Um, sometimes <laughs> they, they don't respect and they don't respect their history. They don't look back in time at the, uh, at the history of their titles. Um, well, you say that, but I know that you got the advanced Castlevania advanced collection, right? Yes. When but, I did. The, yes, but <laughs> if, if that knowledge is public, public knowledge, then this segue doesn't make any sense at all. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, a company that is very much celebrating their history right now is NIS. They are a 
I mean, if the name might not necessarily mean anything to you off the top of your head, but this is a publisher and developer that has released what can only be described as a truly prolific number of RPGs going all the way back to the PlayStation era. Um, and they have been releasing a series of, uh, well, collections, essentially, of some of their older games called the Prinny Presents NIS Collection uh, Classics, Volume 1, 2, 3. And uh, they released Volume 1 last year, and that contained uh, PSP's Phantom Blade and PS2's Soul Nomad and the World Eaters. It's, well, it, it, it's Phantom Brave, not Phantom Blade. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah. And it and it was a PS2 game that was later ported to the PSP and PC. But this is the uh, they are giving you the the PSP version with all the updates. Well, speaking of someone who actually does know the the history of this company and the games that came out of it, Solosi, <laughs> uh, you were super excited when you uh, when they were uh, announcing these things, and they recently released Volume Two, uh, which contains two classic tactical RPGs. One of which is a, I'd say, much more traditional fantasy kind of style, and the other is insane, crazy comic book style, which is a genre, in a genre that very, when I think of you, I, I think of. Um, so, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, Prinny Presents NIS Classics Volume Two? Right. Okay. What are the games? Uh, I'm going to back it up a little bit. Uh, first of all, um, Nippo and Ichi is like a very, very sort of specific, uh, it, it resides in a very specific part of my RPG brain. Um, they started releasing games in North America in 2000 and through the 2000s and into the early 2010s, they were one of my, uh, they were one of my favorite, uh, game developers. I bought almost all of their releases or let's say, let's say all of their Disgaea games and then a handful of the others. Uh, the, the Disgaea is their most their successful, flagship, uh, I would property. imagine. But yeah, by by far, yeah, it, it's um, and Disgaea came out later than some of these other ones. Like the first, they've been making games in starting with a, or at least in large part in the series called Marvel Kingdom, started in the, in the late '90s. But Disgaea didn't show up until 2002, 2003, and 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 sort of was a spinoff that ended up becoming the main series, almost like Persona with Atlas or something. But uh, this effort to repackage a bunch of their classic games from the 2000s um, for the 2020s is mostly done is mostly their uh, North American publishing wing NISA Nipponichi Software America okay and uh, which which has all, which has done a lot of localization work recently they even took over uh, localizing the east games from uh, uh, from Xseed it was starting with starting with East 8 so like NISA does a lot of localization and publishing of other uh, Japanese companies works and what this project is is like starting with August of last year they released um uh, Phantom Brave and Soul Nomad, which you which you alluded to, <laughs> which this, I uh, butchered. This, <laughs> well, the, <laughs> and this this new collection that just came out is uh, Makai Kingdom and ZHP Unlosing Ranger, or Zetai Hero Project Unlosing Ranger. Because if you just look up ZHP, that brings you to the Polish organization that's the equivalent of the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. So that's probably not the game. Uh, 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 no, that's a fun fact I learned a few weeks ago. That's delightful. It's a cook. It's a cookie selling simulator, is what it is, really. And you know, I would be into that if they if they made like a business sim that was scouts selling selling cookies. That's has that, has sounds that been like a mini yet? game in a in a series. Yeah, I should, I should jot that down. <laughs> um, but. Uh, and uh, volume three, which comes out in August, is uh, games older than than uh, the ones they've already released. Actually, it's a uh, it's Rhapsody, a musical adventure, which is a uh, a PlayStation game, and La Pucelle Tactics, which is a spinoff of Marvel Kingdom. That is a that is their I think their first big squares based tactical game, or at least that's the first one that I was I was mm. aware of. Both of those games precede Disgaea, but have secret characters in Disgaea One. So that's you know again Disgaea is sort of the 
weird underworld spinoff of of all that jazz. Uh, but but that's not where the remake train stops because they're a seventh game, Grim Grimoire, that ne- that NISA published in the 2000s, um, or actually both the Japanese NIS and the North American NISA published in the 2000s. That is getting a remake called uh, Grim Grimoire Once More uh, that comes out in Japan in a few months but hasn't been announced in uh, uh, worldwide yet. That game is by Vanillaware, which is the George Kamitami studio that made Odin Sphere, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade, and others. So that, so that game is not NIS developed, but it was NIS published. So we don't know if that's getting a North American release yet. So starting in August of last year and then going forward 12 months, uh, we are getting seven classic games developed by NIS or published by NIS from the 2000s releasing worldwide. And on the Switch, they're being released as Prinny Presents Collection 1, 2, and 3 with two games in each collection. But uh, they're getting simultaneous releases on PC worldwide, uh, but they're individual games and not uh, and not full releases. And I think some of them, uh, including uh, the, including Phantom Brave, were already on Steam. So it's like the the ones the games in these collections that were not already on PC are getting PC simultaneous release dates with these collections. In other words, it's a crazy good value. Yes, they, they, what it is an effort by the North American localization wing of NIS to make all of these six games, possibly seven with Grim Grimoire, uh, playable on on modern systems. It, it's an effort to just get these 2000s games out there. And I've been playing two of them, uh, Makai Kingdom and ZHP and Losing Ranger. Yes, well, let's talk about Makai Ranger. Or Makai Ranger, I just combined the two. Makai Ranger? I'd, I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> like uh, Makai Sentai uh, Nether Ranger? Yeah, sure, let's do Let's it. talk about Makai Kingdom, uh, which is uh, it, it's a tactical RPG. Um, we actually reviewed this game way back in the day. Uh, there were two reviews, actually. One was a 77, one was an 85. Where would you sit around there? What what, what would you give this? At the risk of sounding wishy-washy, which I often do on podcasts, probably in between there, I think that this game, it scratches the itch that I want scratched from those 2000s Nipponichi games, but it is a little grindy and doesn't have as many story hooks as I think a lot of players would prefer. Mm. Um it it it's it's a little odd. It's it's sort of a uh, a combination of Phantom Brave and Disgaea. Well, it's a spinoff of Disgaea, as I be- as I understand it. Y- yes, it's it's definitely um, story wise and tone wise, it's much closer to Disgaea. It, it's a uh, Disgaea is a game that uh, is about netherworlds and overlords, where basically uh, like anime versions of monsters and demons are engaged in. Uh, in emotional story arcs and politics and, and uh, a, a demon magic school for one of them and a whole bunch of nonsense. And Makai kingdom is about de- uh, demon overlords ruling their nether worlds. It, so it's a, it like, you know, all of the dimensions and worlds in Makai kingdom would fit nicely alongside the same in Disgaea. And the main character is Zeta is an unlockable character in multiple Disgaea games. Um, but the, the the story just of this one is that Zeta is the uh, is the most powerful overlord in the known universe. He is, and he is very aware of that and refers to himself in the third person as a badass overlord. But uh, he's tricked into destroying a book that uh, I, I think ha- I think what happens is someone tells him that the book is more powerful than he is, and he does not will not let that sit will not let that slide. So he decides to destroy the book. But then as the book is is burning, he realizes, oh no, this is the book that contains the my entire overworld, overlord, excuse me, my entire netherworld. So if the book's destroyed, then my then my entire world is destroyed. So as a, at the last second, he casts a spell that uh, saves the book by having himself turn into a book. 
So the most powerful overlord in the universe um, makes a very stupid error and turns himself into a book. So basically an anthropomorphized book with angry hair and angry eyes is flopping around. Basically the Necronomicon from Evil Dead. <laughs> a little. <laughs> or, or I was going to say the, the, uh, the, the, the devil book from Hocus Pocus. Uh, but, but, the, but, but basically uh, uh, Zeta's netherworld is, uh, either doesn't exist or is a fraction of what it used to exist. And for the, at least the first several chapters in this game, um, Zeta is reaching out to the other overlords that he knows and uh, they're basically, uh, and they're you know using their vast mana, which is you know a, a a vaguely defined resource that represents power and influence. By by channeling mana and writing wishes into the book, they can sort of rebuild Zeta's uh, Zeta's netherworld. So one by one, in each chapter, you meet a very very weird anime god or goddess that rules their own netherworld, and they help Zeta by uh, writing in the by writing in Zeta to to sort of rebuild his over his uh netherworld I, i'm i'm confusing overlord and netherworld so many times because they only use those words like a, a hundred times a cutscene in in this game but in in general uh every time you meet a new overlord they unlock a new chapter there's say six to ten maps and you got to complete these maps uh in a traditional uh japanese strategy rpg format but there's there's no squares it's like phantom brave where instead of having a grid of of squares it's just there are movement ranges and spell ranges that are represented by circles or cones that allow you to just move around semi-freely so it it feels more free form than a rigid hex-based or square-based tactical game but uh, but other than that, it is a lot like Disgaea. You you recruit demon units that level up in the same way and can reincarnate into different classes in a similar way, a slightly more confusing way in Makai Kingdom. Uh, personally, I feel. But uh, and and there's a lot of sort of nuts and bolts to uh, recruiting, summoning, reincarnating. Uh, you you uh, there's uh, you can summon buildings and vehicles, and uh, and units can stay or ride by those which is a feature that's not in phantom brave or disgaea uh the best boss strategy i've found is to um summon a building like your doghouse or your hospital or your academy with about five units in it find get a unit that has a large throw stat like a thief have them throw the building across the map and then have your uh your uh five or six units in there bum rush the boss in a chain combo <laughs> which is if that sounds ridiculous then that is only about five percent as ridiculous as this game can get because the tone the tone is very silly the bosses are uh are complete wackadoodles one of them is a samurai that was so strong in the under after he died that he ended up taking over the uh uh hell one of them is a uh is a dragon that is um was the most powerful overlord in the universe millennia ago but now he's senile and just is sort of a friendly grandpa uh one of them is a is is three demons fused together that are uh, quote unquote, often the final boss in a lot of other worlds because they're you know making fun of like of, of like you know like like a Final Fantasy VI boss that's like a or that's that's faces fused together faces kind fused of together lots of orbs going around it yes exactly so that that's exactly what uh what what, what that character is like so it's it's making fun of uh of fantasy and video game tropes in the way that um a lot of Nipponichi games do. But uh, but at least where I am, I'm in chapter. I believe there are nine or ten chapters, and I'm in chapter seven. A lot of it is just sort of introducing characters one by one. And Zeta sl- slowly re- now that Zeta's powerless, he isn't interacting with these people like he's the most powerful overlord in the universe anymore, and can instantly incinerate anything in his way. Now he has to confront them from a position of more 
of, of more understanding and uh and and sort of reevaluate his his relationships with these people like what there's a he has a bad relationship with his former student who uh, where their relationship might have been romantic and then abandoned it's hard it's hard for me to tell right now uh and and there's one uh, overlord that is desperate to defeat zeta so that's uh that's a whole you know new bag of tricks but for the most part the story is just cutscenes with these overlords bickering with each other and it, and the story doesn't have a lot of stakes or direction other than Zeta trying to rebuild his netherworld. Mm. So that it's fun when you get these rewards, but also it's a bit of a grind. Uh, uh, so much of what I'm doing in this game is unlocking more stages. When a stage is too hard, I grind a little bit because there are difficulty spikes here and there, but also certain maps where grinding is very easy and you can get several levels in one, in one go. So it's, it's a bit of a like grind level, grind level, read a cutscene. Oh, that joke was funny. More grinding. It's 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 a it is like Disgaea games get accused of being grindy, and I think that Makai Kingdom is grindier than most Disgaea mm. games. A lot of spinoffs kind of go that direction. Sometimes they go a little bit more uh, hardcore into the grind, but uh, in this particular case, it sounds like it's captured that. Uh, slightly absurd tone to it too yes it captures the absurdity and the anarchic spirit of Dis of disgaea that i love that made me fall in love with that series uh almost 20 years ago yep. geez and kind of makes it makes fun of like a lot of like you said a lot of the traditional uh tropes and things of rpgs both t and j yes it, it does that and it um it also uh, lets you level up into the into the thousands and deal damage into the millions like 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 the Sky Games do. No nine 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 level cap there or uh, damage cap there. Yeah, no, no, the uh, that's definitely true of all, of all these Nipponichi games and and the Sky Six even uh, takes the numbers into a whole new stratosphere of of silliness. But um, this one like it gets very technical if you try to level up characters sort of beyond what you need to for the base game. I, I think um, just doing a little bit of side research, like uh, trying to level up a character ideally means leveling up to them either 90 or 100 and then reincarnating them as a building and then destroying the building and having them and then finding an item with at least one star in it and having them possess the item so that they can build a bankroll of stars that improves their reincarnation stats. Like it's it, it gets very technical. When you try to go into the, uh, when you try to optimize in this game a little bit, mm. and I, but to beat the game, you do not need to do that. I think the final boss is under level one hundred. I don't know what it is, of course, because I haven't gotten there yet. But uh, if you want to do post game and super grinding, you can do that. If you want to just beat the game and have fun in a silly uh, anime uh, tactical RPG, you can do that. I am leaning towards the latter, uh, but I have not gotten mm. there yet. But if you want to talk about a game that's maybe sillier and maybe grindier, uh, we could go on to the second game in this collection. Yeah, we let's talk about it briefly. But uh, based on what I read about it, I have a feeling this game might really hit you where you live. Oh, it does. Um, it is a parody of roguelikes, a parody of strategy RPGs, a parody of Japanese RPGs in general. Because, I mean, they even use a first-person perspective Dragon Quest I uh, uh, boss screen for the for near the very beginning. And it's a parody of tokusatsu, which is a uh, genre of um, Japanese film and television. Uh, that Tokusatsu means special effects. It refers to any special effects heavy show or movie. Godzilla is tokusatsu. 
Power Rangers and Super Sentai or Tokusatsu. I was about to say, Unlosing uh, Ranger versus uh, yeah. Dark Death Evil Man. It's uh, it's right there in the title. Correct. And the, uh, the again, the tone of this story is so ridiculous. Um, Unlosing Ranger is a is the strongest hero on Earth. He's uh, on his way to fight um, Dark Death Evil Man to defend the Earth, but uh, he accidentally gets hit by a car crossing the street and dies in the first cutscene of the game. And so with his dying breath, he grants his power to a milk toast uh, uh, human who is you, the, the main character. And uh, so you, with, uh, with the powers of the Unlosing Ranger, challenge Dark Death Evil Man. This is the first 10 minutes of the game. I'm not spoiling anything. And get your ass kicked. Hmm. Um, so Dark Death Evil Man, so, so incredibly disappointed that the Unlosing Ranger is so weak, um, uh, kicks you so hard, you get you're flung across the universe into a parallel Earth. Um, and from this parallel Earth, your goal from this uh, a space station or secret hideout or something that really represents a shocker hideout from Kamen Rider, like a lot, especially with how the enemies look. Um, the new thrust of the story is to challenge uh, Dark Death Evil Man's lair and get stronger and stronger. So, and this is where the roguelike elements of this game come in. Like every stage or every run, I should say, you start at level one. You're navigating what looks like a square-based tactical grid. It's 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 you're 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 just walking around it like you're playing a strategy RPG with only one character in your party, and uh, and you go around defeating enemies to find the next to find the next staircase to the next level. And uh, every time you do a run, you start at level one with no items, and uh, you have to use items as you go, defeat enemies as you go. The, uh, you're limited by a by an energy meter, which uh, basically as your energy meter goes down, you uh, uh, you're, you you have some self healing, but once you run out of energy, your health uh, starts depleting it with every step instead of healing with every step, and the game suddenly turns into dark into Gauntlet Legends for the N64. Um, but uh, basically, like you're challenging this dungeon over and over. Every five levels, I think, you challenge a new version of Dark Death Evil Man. And the Dark Death Evil Man battles go from being, again, Dragon Quest first-person perspective to like a Final Fantasy IV uh, side perspective. To uh, and, and they, they parody different types of RPGs with every new uh, Dark Death Evil Man battle. I've only, I've only seen the first one where I am in the game. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's like if a roguelike had the felt like playing a strategy RPG... But uh, you, you lose all your items and levels every run, but your total levels that you've accumulated uh, th- uh, through the runs increase your starting stats. And because you're starting, ah, okay. you, you level up proportional to your starting stats every time you go. Uh, like consecutive runs will make it much will make you much much stronger. And you don't really reta- retain items between runs, but you do retain some currency. So you can buy a bunch of healing items before you start a new run, and you can modify your body with chips to increase to give you certain parameters when you start a new run. But but you're like you're uh, the the meat and potatoes of your levels and and uh, and items reset with every run. See that's fascinating. So it's a really interesting mix of tactical RPG with turn based RPG and just parroting everything under the sun in terms of what Solosi loves. Yes, JRPGs, Tokusatsu, and, uh, well, yeah, I mean, those are two of my favorite things, which is, you know, be a very different version of the song from The Sound of Music. <laughs> but, but uh, so, yeah, like, I love the humor and tone and ideas of this game, but the actual grind of it is pretty frustrating. Like, like, uh, like preserving your energy and, and dying all the time happens a lot. It's, uh, 
the very first run to get to the first uh, Dark Death Evil Man boss fight wasn't bad, but the like the, there's a, a serious difficulty spike after that. I'm I am building my secret base a little bit, but I'm not. But it's there's so much stuff to do. Mm. I'm not exactly sure if I'm doing it well or not. Um, both ZHP and Makai Kingdom are grind heavy, and I like most of the grind, and I like a lot of the humor and uh, and and like visual ideas here. But it's I I have to sort of just you know like. Uh, you know plug in my switch lower my head and start grinding if i yeah. want to get to the ends of these games and, and and i will but uh i players of these need to be aware of the grind in store true and it does sound like i might be wrong about this but there are not a ton of quality of life updates with these re-releases either so when you're playing them you're pretty much going to be playing maybe slightly updated versions of the uh, original titles but you're not going to be playing like I don't think there's any like auto saving or anything like that, right? No, it's 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 uh it it's extremely low frills. Mm. I think I think the only change they might have made is the which game are you playing button at the very <laughs> at the very opening menu. Um the, the the load times feel uh like the PSP when I when I tried to play ZHP on my mm. Vita uh like 7 years ago or however long that was. And um like I know we were clowning on Konami earlier, but the Konami Ad- Castlevania Advanced Collection has more quality of life changes than these games do. Well, it's, I mean, these games are, as you have said, and you're enjoying them, like they're well worth playing. And I'm really glad they're getting released and are getting this uh, additional exposure to uh, a, a modern audience on the Switch and PC. Yes, only some of these games were available on modern consoles or PC at the time of them starting to release these. But now it's a concerted effort to put all six of them on the Switch and make all of them that weren't already available on PC available on PC. And uh, and that seventh game, Grim Grimoire, is getting a, a more comprehensive remake soon. But the, but those the, but those seven games sort of represent a period of 2000 to 2010 of a uh, of a developer and publisher that I really loved. And I am feeling so much weird, uh, like college dorm room nostalgia playing Disgaea 2 on my PSP kind of uh, uh, kind of feelings when I'm playing Makai Kingdom on my Switch. I love that feeling when you're when you're playing it and you're just you're sent back to another time in another place. That's a that's yeah. a good feeling. <laughs> um, these games sound very interesting and great. And I really like how the roguelike mechanics uh, sound like it work in uh, ZHP. I'm losing Ranger uh, versus Dark Death. Dark Evil Death Evil Man. Man yes, um, because roguelikes and roguelikes are one of roguelikes and roguelites are uh, some of my favorite uh, genres. And uh, I actually, uh, I played a game this week or last week um, that I absolutely adored. And that is one of the pioneers of roguelites, which is Rogue Legacy 2. So uh, Rogue Legacy is a side-scrolling roguelite with Metroidvania elements uh, that came out in 2013. And back then it was an indie darling uh, and for very, very good reason because it took the roguelike genre it made it much more uh, accessible by introducing a an interesting narrative-based progression system. So every time your hero died in the game, uh, their descendant would take up the sword, which meant that whatever uh, money that you had earned would be inherited, and then you can invest that money in better armor, skills, and abilities, which would then be passed on to your descendants. Uh, so every single time you die, the castle that you are going into would reset, completely randomize levels, uh, and you'd have to go back into it again. And slowly, as you know, generations pass, uh, your bloodline gets stronger and stronger until finally you can start taking on bosses. Now, uh, this was amazing at the time, but since then, countless roguelike games have come out. 
And uh, the question was, when Rogue Legacy 2 was announced, the question was, what, what, what will it do differently? Um, and in my opinion, the difference is that it just, it really polished it to a shine. I reviewed it in early access. Uh, I gave it an 80 because at the time it felt very much exactly like Rogue Legacy 1, just with some better graphics. Uh, but it, it still felt very good. It was very enjoyable, but it felt very bare bones. There was only uh, two areas that were really playable and the balance was really off, but it was in early access. And they have done an incredible job uh, refining the game throughout the early access process. Like sometimes early access, it comes out and some games, they don't really do too much with it. They just kind of sit there and they, it, it's a way to bring in money early on uh, to help finance the rest of the game. But in this case, they were releasing uh, updates regularly and just really, really paying attention uh, to player feedback and refining the game and refining the game and refining it until finally they've ended up with something that I enjoyed as much as I enjoyed Rogue Legacy back in 2013. Uh, again, like you said, Slosi, it kind of made me it made me feel like I did back when I played the original in a, in a good way. Um, you don't need to play this game, the first game, to enjoy this one. There's no real, there's no connection between the two. It's it's a sequel in terms of the aesthetic and the mechanics, but it's not in terms of the story. It is insanely hard at first. Uh, because you are your first generation hero is, I mean, they're they're you're under leveled. You have no levels, uh, and you're going into this insanely hard castle. Um, so usually you're going to get your butt kicked very very quickly. Uh, but that's dying's the point in this game. That's where the progression is. You have to you go into the castle to earn as much money as possible by finding treasure and killing enemies and then dying and then going back out and upgrading and repeating. So the way the game works is once you die you're given the choice at the first you're given the choice of three heirs and each heir uh can be a different class and can have different uh some different traits and some of them are positive some of them are negative and some of them are just like there like for example uh you can have a hero who uh just farts every time that they jump um it's a silly kind of game but it, it's a delight uh you can have other like color blindness is a trait that you can have where everything is just in black and white um, vertigo was another trait. I think they removed it because people were getting motion sick, but like the entire game is upside down. And if you take negative traits, it gives you a multiplier on the amount of gold that you can earn. Um, and there are tons and tons of classes in this game. There's the knight, the usual, you know, giant sword, uh, mage cast, cast spells, ranger. And then it starts getting into uh, Ronin who has like super, super long reach. Uh, there's a cook who you attach you attack people with a frying pan shockingly there are ronin and cook classes in makai kingdom i just unlocked the, uh, some of them i like that i'm glad that they're paying attention to uh the the tropes of other of the it, it does it does a very good job of playing with the tropes of uh fantasy uh genre now see here's the thing slow see, we recently uh, were on a podcast together where i uh, hated a game more than I've ever hated a game for a long time yeah. um, because I, I found it to be so incredibly hard. But Rogue Legacy 2, in many ways, in many places, is just as hard as Sultan Sanctuary, but I never found myself getting frustrated by it, and that was the difference. Um, maybe, it, maybe it has to do with the progression, or I don't know, but Rogue Legacy 2 does an incredible job of making, I guess, dying enjoyable and never frustrating. Like, when you have a hero and you are absolutely rocking and you are kicking butt and you are getting through areas which, you know, you've been struggling with before and you're getting all of this money. 
uh, when your hero dies, it's almost like a celebration. You're like, yeah, that, that's my guy. And, you know, you have a portrait of them that's put up and you can remember them later. Um, bosses are incredibly tough in this game. Uh, they require multiple multiple runs at them with multiple generations to learn their patterns. Um, and uh, But if you find the right mix of class and traits, sometimes it can make them a little bit easier. Uh, the game is packed full of like blueprints for weapons. You can find runes to give you boost to your stats. There are tons of forms of currency uh, out there for various kinds of upgrades. And there is a Metroidvania-like progression uh, with abilities, so like air dashes um, and things like that. Uh, a lot of these are things that have been added to the game since the early access. Like now there is there's there are levels you gain experience as you go. You level up your heroes, becoming more powerful. There are all these new classes. Uh, each one plays very, very differently. In the original game, it all felt it felt interconnected, but it just felt kind of like a classic Metroidvania style castle. Uh, but in this case, there are uh, different styles of areas. Like, yeah, there's the Metroidvania style castle. Uh, but there are also some levels, areas are vertical climbs, and others are very much uh, expansive left-to-right linear paths. Oh, so, so, it's, so it became Kid Icarus. A little bit, yeah, in one place. And uh, for me, what the real secret of a great roguelike to me is, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, Zach, uh, progression. A sense of progression, that you are moving forward, that you are you are moving forward with the game in some way, whether that be uh, getting money or gaining skills or just getting better at it um and the way this game is structured it really scratches that progression itch and what's even better is i guess i didn't touch this because i was i was looking for that like tough as nails experience but rogue legacy 2 has introduced a ton of uh, accessibility options in house rules and that specifically allows you to customize the difficulty level by altering like there's damage multipliers you can take less damage you can inflict more damage uh, and it provides a lot of different tools to tailor the game to your ability level, uh, which I very much appreciate. And I think the thing that really gets me about it is the post game, because with a lot of a lot of games, you know, you beat the final boss and that's it. With this, uh, you can go back into the castle uh, in a, a parallel universe where things are a little bit different and you can fight different variations of the bosses. Uh, and you can uh, add additional difficulty on top of it. So when the game is over, that's not the end. You are continuously challenged throughout it. So if you, if doing a run is almost therapeutic to you, like it's very relaxing, uh, this is the kind of game that you could really get into. It scratches the same itch that um, Splunky did for me, though it's a very different kind of rogue. Well, Splunky is a roguelike. This is a roguelite, but um, I just friggin' loved it. I just had such a great time with it. Um, and I understand that I am on a podcast with two uh, two people who are not giant fans of the roguelike uh, genre. If, if I finish ZHP soon, it will be the second roguelike that I or roguelite that I have put a lot of time into. I, I uh, one more than well, I let's done. okay. Well, let me we'll do a very quick discussion question because we're running a little short on time. But hey, guys, what's what's your favorite roguelite or roguelike? Hades. Also, Hades. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the one I haven't played. For those listening who actually don't know the difference uh, between the two, Rogue Likes are essentially very similar to the 1980s game Rogue, where every every run starts from zero. Your skills improve, like you get better at the game, allowing you to progress further into it, but uh, upgrades, levels, anything, nothing like that 
comes with that. So and levels are always randomized, so you can't learn layouts. It's entirely a skill-based progression system. Uh, rogue lights have permadeath and randomized layouts, but there is usually a progression system attached to them where you can carry money or skills forward through each new run, giving you a sense of measurable progression in terms of the game. Um, I like rogue lights. I like that. I like that progression. I played one last year that I really liked called uh, Dreamscaper. Um, was terrific. It, it's just a genre that I really like. And Solosi, I there are some roguelites that I think you would really like. Yeah, you're you're definitely referring to 20xx and 30xx. I might just be. Uh, I, I, yeah. I I I I did try um, the original Rogue Legacy several years ago, but I couldn't get into it. Um, it was it was sold to me as Roguelite Castlevania, but I just I I really just wasn't a fan of the roguelike or roguelite genre at that mm-hmm. time. But since uh, playing in in decent amount of Hades in 2020 <laughs> and 2021, I'm I'm much more interested in the genre now. Uh, so I don't I don't know if it's gonna it's if it's gonna create a renaissance in my in my brain the way Yakuza or uh, Demon Souls have. But I I am more likely to try Rogue Legacy two or or maybe a Rogue Light that I already have in my library like like Dead Cells mm. than I was a couple of years ago. I've played Dead Cells. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, maybe I just need to keep playing it more. Sometimes the thing about roguelikes and roguelikes is you have to, you really need to bang your head against it for a while until it clicks. Is, is Binding of Isaac considered a roguelite? Yes. All right. I, I did like that okay, but I, I, I definitely didn't get close to finishing it. I will say the nice thing about Rogue Legacy and Rogue Legacy 2, even Rogue Legacy 2 more so than Rogue Legacy, is it's specifically designed so you don't need to bang your head against it really hard to get into it. Um, it's very, very user-friendly, very welcoming. Um, I feel like this is a game that you would probably like, Solosi. Zach, maybe less so. But Solosi, I'm telling you, you maybe hold off 20XDX, <laughs> but when 30XDX finally has its its 1.0 release, it seems like a game that you should really, really give a look this at. This really feels like Rob Steinman trying to get me to play Dark Souls in 2019 kind of energy. I mean, I'm pretty sure you like Souls-likes now. Or yeah, Souls I do. Games, yeah, so... it's, it's, it, yeah, it's it's a little crazy that i had almost the opposite reaction to salt and sanctuary that you did jano uh, i liked it so much that it got me interested in trying a real souls game <laughs> i already had a copy of demon souls ready to go uh and and bloodborne on on psn uh, or i should say as, as part of ps plus but so i played demon souls last month and i liked it so much that i bought four other souls games um so <laughs> i have those i have those ready to play in say the next 12 months but uh, yeah, yeah, like like Souls games are about sort of are about sort of risk management and uh, balancing that with exploring an action. And if you if you die, you get some. Sometimes you'll lose progress or be punished for it. While while rogue lights are more about they still have the RPG elements and the high difficulty, but they're more about uh, like 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 death isn't the end or death isn't losing progress. Death is just another step. Mm. So uh, and and Hades felt and I never felt better about dying in a game than playing Hades mm-hmm. because not, not only is like dying uh, tied into lore um, you really do feel like you're getting stronger and better and the game is teaching you how to play as you play it and I, I think that's the mark of a great roguelite it, um, death doesn't feel bad you feel like you're always learning and improving yeah and the, and maybe the gameplay loop itself is fun so if if, uh, if Rogue Legacy 2 scratch like you know makes the uh, hits those check marks then I'm sure it's it's a really good time. I think you might be right. And also what matters to me is if it's built into the narrative, it matters to, it, it works for me better. Like if there's no reason why a character uh, comes back and has like a sense of progression, it doesn't really work for me. But in Rogue Legacy, it's your descendant. 
um, and you they just inherited all your money, and that really does work for me. Or with Hades, you know, it being you know the underworld and things like that. Or with a dreamscaper, it being a dream. So every morning when you die, you wake up. Um, and that sort of progression really works for me as long as it's built into the narrative. I mean, Slosi, if there's a lot of things I know about you, but one is you really love Mega Man. I know I'm pushing 30xdx <laughs> a lot, but really, it's 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 friggin' it's it's a roguelike Mega Man. Yeah, I, I have like done Mega the research Man. a little bit when you when you told me about it, uh, and uh, and um, 30xx is not in uh, is not in 1.0 yet. No, it's, wait, uh, wait, still, wait! Don't don't do it until yeah, it's out. It, it, I'm not sure I want to invest in a uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Not pre-release. Um, uh, early access early access that's right i don't i don't yeah. want to get too deep into something in early access it's because i'm an old man and don't always trust early access nope I, I i i didn't even do that for hades which i and of course ended up adoring but um that game is on my radar and i, I will keep looking at it yep and much like uh much like uh rogue legacy 2 i regularly see updates from uh 30xdx continuously like them adding more and more stuff into the game and i played it through early access and i the very first version that they released and I beat it and I'm waiting until it's feature complete and then I'm going to dive into it. And Zach, you are probably not going to do any of that. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, they are a lot of work. Um, hey, but you know what's not a lot of work? Listening to past episodes of Random Encounter. Um, it's not work. It just takes a lot of time. So yeah, thank you both for being here today. I really appreciate talking about these games, uh, sharing your thoughts on these games with me. You know, hopefully there's going to be some uh, some news in the future about 100 Heroes release. And I know that's news that all three of us will welcome. Every time they do a Kickstarter update with a new character in it, I get so excited because the character designs in this thing are so wild. I don't know which is my favorite between the Hot Springs Capybara or the beautiful Elf Lady, but there's... There, I mean, Zach was talking about a, a kangaroo with a giant sword. That, that, that's just the very surface of the character designs that this thing is bringing to the table. I'm so excited. And I feel like levels of excitement and hype are not going to uh, drop anytime soon because uh, we are going to be playing something for Retro Encounter. Uh, Retro is coming back. Isn't that right, Slosey? That's right. I have been on a podcast break for a few months now. Um, this is me, you know, uh, leaving hibernation just because I was eager to talk about Monster Hunter and Makai Kingdom. Dipping your toe in the water. <laughs> right. But uh, Retro Encounter is coming back in June, and the first game that we'll be playing in the in our return is Suikoden 1, that uh, early PlayStation 1 RPG that uh, I know Zach loves dearly. Yes, I do. And it'll be, because we're playing them in the correct order, this is the fourth Suikoden game we've played for the podcast. <laughs> every, everyone knows that the true Suikoden order is 2531. I would recommend that to no one. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would be the order that you would recommend, Zach? 2531, obviously. One two five and then skip the other two well if anyone has any questions about uh the suikoden series and wonders what to start with we do have a feature for it that's a true story wes wrote an amazing feature about which one to start with and i don't even agree with it but it's still really well written <laughs> he almost got fired over it you it's, were it's, it's, well, it's, 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 it's well it's well written and informative but the it's the conclusion that zach has an issue with yeah i mean wes <laughs> Actually, I think recommends that you start with five, um, which is totally fine. I mean, the truth is that you can start anywhere and sweep it in, um, and the world's going to build out from there, and it's worth it regardless. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'm certainly excited to talk about it on uh, Retro Encounter, and I'm really looking forward to Retro coming back. So that's going to be coming up uh, in June. Um, but it is that and Random Encounter are not the only 
uh, podcasts that we have here at RPG Fan. We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is our music podcast. Uh, and we've been doing some interesting episodes on rhythm lately. Uh, last week was a bit of an experiment for the show. I think it was a successful one. It was uh, Video Game Music for Life Events Weddings. And Hillary interviewed uh, Dr. Justin Lin. Uh, so this was all about using uh, video game music throughout his wedding. Uh, and all of that music was included in the episode. And then coming up, we have another special episode, this time featuring the creator of the 8-Bit Music Theory YouTube channel. And I am a massive fan of his channel. I've been subscribed to it for years now. Uh, his videos on uh, Hollow Knight especially are really cool because, I mean, I love the music of Hollow Knight. Um, so I highly recommend you check out that episode coming out next week, and I highly recommend you check out his YouTube channel. Um, if you would like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback about the show, if you have any ideas for discussion questions or anything like that, just fire me off a message. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you'd like to send me a message specifically, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can also find me on Twitter at jono underscore Logan. But I'm not the only person on this podcast with an online present. Zach, where can we find you online? I am not that person. Um, <laughs> um, you can email me at zachw at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on our Discord at zachw. Cool. And Salosi, where can we find you? Oh, I haven't said this in a while. You can find me most easily on Twitter at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs at other times, and an RPG fans Discord. I am Monsoon Mike. Awesome. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. Help us get the word out there. Uh, you can rate us on iTunes and other podcast players of your choice. Uh, again, thank you, Mike and Zach, for coming by and uh, and doing this. Mike, thanks for coming. Uh, Salosi, thanks for coming and uh, having this be your return to podcasting. Uh, I appreciate it. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be doing any other podcasts in, in May, uh, but uh, please look forward to Retro Encounter returning in June. I very much am. We all are. Um, and to you, the audience, thank you very much for joining us. And whatever you're playing, have fun. <laughs>